for those of you who maybe weren't with us over you know, the entire last year, I know we've got some new folks to our community. Um, last year we did something that we never have really done before, and the whole year we spent going through the entire story of the Bible. And of course, in one year, you, can't, you can only go so deep into it, but what we did is we went genre by genre. So we looked at historical narrative. We looked at the, the wisdom poetry and poetry genre. We looked at the prophetic books. We went through the, the gospels and the letters in different ways and kind of helped us understand the different genres that make up this big story, which theologically we call it the meta-narrative or the story of stories. And it's good for us to know these different genres because you kind of read them differently. And so as we go into 2022, we're going to do something pretty different, and that is that we're going to just take a few books of the Bible, and we're going to do a deep dive into just a few, all right? And we're starting with the book of Matthew. It's the first book of the New Testament, the Gospel of Matthew, written by one of Jesus' disciples, Matthew. And uh, I, I love that we're starting there, because I think in this time in, in our world today, it's so critical for us to say, hey, what, how can we be centered on Jesus? who Jesus was, who Jesus is in our lives, and Jesus who will return someday. How can we say we want to orient our whole lives around who Jesus is in our life? And so to start with this, this account of Jesus' uh, birth, life, ministry, death, and resurrection in the book of Matthew seems like a great place for us to start. So that's where we're going to be in here today. We've got some resources for you online at millcitychurch.com slash discipleship. You'll see some different resources there, but one of them is a deep dive of Matthew. So you could grab some other people or you could do this on your own, but there's some resources there for you. And I'm going to offer you the Matthew challenge, okay? I just made this up, the Matthew challenge. And that is that we're going to be in Matthew probably like, at least through Easter, okay? So you've got that whole time to read through Matthew. So grab like your analog Bible or like an app Bible, whatever, and read through it. But then the second part of the challenge is to let one of these apps, almost all the apps, read it to you, okay, where you're not reading it with your eyes, but you're listening, uh, for those of you who can. And then I, I just want to encourage you to do that, because sometimes there's like a cool British voice, you know, and they'll read Matthew to you. And I have found that it's a different experience to listen to it than to read it. And so that's the, the Matthew challenge that we have for you uh, as we go into the spring. Okay, poll, second poll of the day. Where's my personality test, people? Who are you? My Enneagram, my Myers-Briggs people. Here you are. Okay, no shame. Um, the rest of you, welcome. I, I am a personality test person or assessment person, but I have like a really good reason to be one, and that is that I was a psychology major in college, okay? And if you are uh, not someone who studies psychology, there's something I'm going to let you into a little window, and that is the undergrad students are basically the human guinea pigs for the grad students. For real. They do all these assessments on us, okay? So I was this undergrad student. By the time I graduated from college, uh, the, the, like, human lab rat experiments had been done on me. Every personality test and assessment that could possibly be done had been done on me by the time I was, 20, 20, like, 22, okay? And, and so I think that's why I kind of stepped into that, you know? It was a very formidable time of my life. So I have an excuse for that. What I don't have an excuse for is those personality tests that you know are not legit, in any form, not psychological study, like the ones on BuzzFeed, okay, and the ones that you do on Instagram, all right, I brought a screenshot of some of the most popular quizzes of 2021 on BuzzFeed, all right, here's what some of, the, I have not done all of them, but, okay, so which original Grey's Anatomy intern are you? You can find out. Which Encanto Disney song fits you the most? Who's seen Encanto? Oh, it's so good. You could figure out your song. Thank you, BuzzFeed. You could find out. I love this one. The choices you make in this quiz will determine your dominant emotion, but only if you don't lie. 
All right? Who knows? Who knows what BuzzFeed's doing with this information? You might lie. Who knows? This Disney quiz will tell you if you're an introvert, an extrovert, or an ambivert, in case you didn't know yet. And then this one, everyone is either Elmo or Rocco. I took this one. Which one do you think I am? Elmo, yes! I got Elmo. Okay, so these, these ones, I, I just want to say I have no excuse for doing these, even though I do them sometimes. No good excuse, and neither do you, okay? <laughs> that doesn't mean we're going to stop. I'm just saying that those are bizarro. But when it comes to actual, like, efforts that we're making to understand ourselves, whether that's personality assessments or uh, counseling or different ways that we try to understand self-awareness and grow in our emotional intelligence, these are all really good things. But the truth that I found in my life is that when it comes to truly trying to understand our identity and who we are, this can actually be an area of struggle for us. Because in addition to all of the things they put me through, assessments in college, there's so many other things that try to inform what my core identity is. And I think this is true for so many of us, right? Sometimes it's our jobs. Sometimes it's the roles we play in life, whether that's a spouse or a parent or a friend, and they begin to just really impact us, uh, whether we have money or we don't, how intelligent we are and how intelligent we see ourselves, uh, how, how well-known or popular we think we are with other people, how we vote, we think it just really infects our core identity. We think about things like, like how we use our time, and these are things that really, this is who I am, this is what I do with my time. And I think if most of us were honest, we would be willing to say that even our insecurities can be a strong force in shaping our identities. And so as we're continuing here in Matthew, we're, we're looking at this important theme at the beginning of Matthew, and that's the theme of the wilderness. The theme of the wilderness. And when it comes to our identities, we find ourselves in a wilderness sometimes. The wilderness often represents challenges or times of waiting or struggle or just a time when things are stripped away. This theme is throughout Scripture. You see it in the Exodus when God leads God's people out into the wilderness. You see it in the words of the psalmist. Uh, you see it in the, the pictures that the, the, the prophets are often giving, like Isaiah will mention today. And so today what I want us to talk about is how the wilderness is a place that we can discover our core identity. If we want to, this is a place where we can discover our core identity. Because I don't know about you, but when I look back on these last 22 months, some people would call this a wilderness experience. And for, maybe not for everybody, but for most of us. And in these last 22 months, the, the realities that have been caused by the pandemic and so many other things, what I think it's done in my life and people around me is it's brought to the surface some things that we didn't know were there still <laughs> or way we never knew were a part of things we wrestled with in our life. There, there's things that come up that, that we were easily ignoring because we were so busy and, the, and things weren't waste, you know, stripped away like they are in a wilderness time. And we've all had opportunities to say, what are we going to do about that as those things come to the surface? And I think that this is what I mean by the opportunity that we have in the wilderness to discover who we truly are. We can discover who we truly are in the wilderness. I think it's one of the ways that God makes a way for us in the wilderness. It's not always easy. Certainly, most important things aren't easy. Getting to our core identity, it's not an, always an easy thing to do, but I think it's so critical for us as Jesus followers. Because when it comes to how we understand ourselves, when we know who we are, it clarifies how we live, doesn't it? It's from that core sense of identity that we live into the things we live in our life. And so as we look into Matthew today, we're going to dig into to something really interesting. We're going to see how it's in the wilderness that Jesus has his identity clarified. But how very quickly that means something very important for us and the clarity that we need to find around our identity. 
So as we go into 2022, I just want us to have this sense of our core identity. And we see Jesus before he goes into his life and ministry receiving his core identity. So we're going to be in Matthew chapter 3 if you have a Bible. In chapters 1 and 2, we see the, the Christmas story, the nativity story. We covered that in Advent. And then last week, I started off in chapter 3 where we meet uh, Jesus' cousin John. I like to call him Cousin John. People know him as John the Baptist. And Cousin John is out in the wilderness, it says. And he is baptizing people who are coming from the surrounding areas, from the, the urban centers, and they're coming out to the wilderness, and he's baptizing them in the Jordan River. And when we look back at the very beginning, we see him say in verse 2, John says, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven has come near. This is kind of his main point of what he's saying to people. And then he's baptizing them. And later on in verse 11, he says something so critical. He says, I baptize you with water for repentance, but after me comes one who is more powerful than I, whose sandals I am not worthy to carry. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. He's talking about Jesus. He knows that he is the one making a way for Jesus. Matthew points out that in Isaiah 40, hundreds of years earlier, John is fulfilling the prophecy that there will be one whose voice will cry out in the wilderness, make way for the Lord. And this is John, Cousin John. And so Cousin John is out here. People are coming out. And as he's declaring this message in the wilderness, something happens that surprises even him. And that is that Jesus himself shows up at the bank of the Jordan River where John is baptizing folks. So I'm going to pick that up in verse 13, and this is what it says. Then Jesus came from Galilee to the Jordan to be baptized by John. But John tried to deter him, saying, I need to be baptized by you, and do you come to me? Jesus replied, let it be so now. It is proper for us to do this to fulfill all righteousness. Remember that line, to fulfill all righteousness. Then John consented. I love that Jesus gives him a choice, but John says, okay, let's do this. As soon as Jesus was baptized, he went up out of the water, and at that moment, heaven was opened. And he, what, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and alighting on him, or, or landing on him, resting on him. And a voice from heaven said, this is my Son whom I love, with him I am well pleased. This is my Son whom I love, with him I am well pleased. Cousin John has some understandable resistance to the idea that he's going to be the one to baptize Jesus. This makes sense, right? How many times in our life, I can totally resonate with this, how many times in our life do you feel like, I think I'm doing what God's asking me to do, and then all of a sudden something happens and you're like, wait, hold on, there's even more that God wants me to do here, or there's a whole other mission, a whole other invitation for us to, to go even deeper or to, to step even further in some way? And I know that my reaction sometimes is similar to John's where I'm like, whoa, I don't think you mean me. I think, I think I'm not worthy of this mission that you have for me. But here in the story, what we see is that Jesus is the one who makes John worthy of this invitation for him to baptize him. And when it comes to the things that God calls us in our life, we, we got to get rid of that narrative that we got to get it all together and figure it all out because Jesus is the one that makes us worthy of the things that he calls us to. And here we see this in this moment. Jesus' cousin John is saying, hey, I'm a little reluctant here. And you can see why he's reluctant. The understanding of baptism in the ancient Jewish times is, is slightly different than we might think of it today in the Christian sense. But you can see that it, our understanding is rooted in that experience. Uh, in the ancient Jewish time, uh, it, would, it would sometimes mean a conversion experience or some sort of purity ritual, a fresh, you know, new, new something, something new. Um, but we need to remember, this is something that we'll talk about a lot when we talk about Matthew. Matthew is writing primarily to a Jewish audience. 
And so the Jewish audience is understanding things through that, that lens. And so something that would have been very common in the Jewish experience is purity rituals, often having to do with the temple. And so what's happening here is that, that Jesus certainly doesn't need a purity washing, right? And so that's why John is reacting in this way. So here in the wilderness, John is, is taking an old practice of immersion in water that happened usually in these very uh, sacred spaces and ways that they thought of things. And he's kind of like making the wilderness a sacred space by taking this ancient Jewish practice and bringing it out into this new context. So Jesus didn't need a, a purity washing. We know this even though he was coming as fully human. But what most scholars point out here is that Jesus is identifying with or, or standing in the place of humanity in this moment. Some scholars will refer to Jesus as the, the last Adam or the new Adam. Part of God's decision to become a human, to condescend, to come down and walk this earth in the form of, of a human Jesus, represents this idea of like a do-over for Adam. In Hebrew, Adam's name means mankind or humankind, humans. Jesus represents this do-over for Adam or like a do-over for humanity. And so he's standing in the place of humanity in this moment as he is being baptized because he doesn't need that, but as, his rep as he represents humanity, he does. In verse 13, it says he needs John to baptize him. Why? To fulfill all righteousness. Righteousness isn't a word that we use a ton. Simply, it means right-making. Righteousness is right-making or making something righteousness, uh, righteous is to make it right, to make something wrong right. And so he, Jesus, is going to make right what Adam got wrong from the beginning, right? He's going to make right what Adam got wrong. Jesus is going to have the chance to make right what humans got wrong. So he's standing in the place of humanity as the new Adam, as, as, as the new human. So what happens during Jesus' baptism is so key. All right? I've read that in these couple of verses, and I just want us to pull to the surface what we see about Jesus' identity. Because it's not merely about Jesus' identity if he's standing in for humans. It has something to do with ours and our identity. So what do we see about Jesus' identity? Of course, three things. I love three. All right? The first thing we see about Jesus' identity that, that I think just jumps off the page is what happens in verse 17. A voice from heaven said, This is my son whom I love. With him I am well pleased. The first thing that we see is Jesus is the Son of God. And this is very key for this ancient Jewish audience to understand because they're recognizing that they're, the, the, the God of their forefathers and of these generations of old are, this is Jesus, the Son of God, who is the true king. They'd often refer to a king as the Son of God. And so here we have Jesus, the Son of God, and this identity statement, whom I love and with him I am well pleased. This is such a core understanding of what it, it, it meant for him to be the Messiah, that he was the son of God. So remember, this Jewish audience, it would have been important for them to see this. So this is, a, I just want to stop for a moment. Do we see how uh, God coming to the earth as a human is this, this very powerful action of God, right? And this is important because we don't always live this way. Sometimes we live as though God like set the world in motion and is like, hey, good luck. <laughs> and it feels like that sometimes, doesn't it? But here we have God coming towards humans again. You see throughout the, the, whole, the whole Bible, the whole meta narrative, the humans are, are constantly trying to respond to a God that moves towards them and moves towards them. And the humans have to decide if they're going to respond. And whenever the humans respond, we don't get it right. 
And so here we have this powerful moment where God moves in the most audacious way possible by coming to this earth in the form of a human. And this is this deep agency or action of God. And we as humans, our chance is a choice if we're going to respond. Dr. Janine Brown, who uh, wrote a commentary on Matthew, one of our friends, she put this, just a couple sentences I want to put on the screen for you. This is how she put this. It can be easy for us to get the impression that God waits for humans to make the first move. But this would be a misrepresentation of the biblical witness that reveals God as covenant initiator or the initiator of the commitment. The scriptures portray repentance as returning or turning towards the God who already has initiated relationship, who already has initiated restoration. And seeing that God has made the first move, I think, is so critical for us. So here in this moment in the wilderness, Jesus' identity is clarified as the Son of God. This, this action, God's Son is now here among us, is showing this powerful action of God. But then we see something else happen right away. This, this dove descends on Jesus, right, like a dove. It says, it says specifically uh, that the Spirit, the Holy Spirit descends on Jesus like a dove. So we don't know for sure if it was an actual bird. The like a uh, makes it seem like it's not exactly that, but something that really brings that to the surface. And it's important that that comes to the surface. So we see the voice of the Father. We see the Holy Spirit descending like a dove, and we see the Son having this experience of baptism. This is this beautiful representation of what we would call like the Trinitarian reality of God. And I'll be the first one to admit it. it is a mystical reality. God is three in one, these three persons interacting. But it's such a, a powerful thing for us to understand about who God is. And it helps us understand who Jesus is. Because the second thing I want to point out is that Jesus exists in a loving family or a loving community. Do, do we see this? Like God's self is a God that is in communication and in relationship. This is God's identity. And this is key, right, for us as people who are made in the image of God. When Jesus is incarnate on the earth, he's not alone. He's in this, this mystical family. And if we are humans that are created in the image of God, then what we notice is that we are designed for this, this cosmic family, that we're designed for family and for community, that we can't actually bear the image of God by ourselves, but that God's self exists in this beautiful, mystical way, and we get a chance to step into that as well. So this moment where the voice of the Father is spoken and the Spirit descends like a dove, is what some scholars call the inauguration of the Messianic era. It's a new day, okay? When was there a dove that helped initiate a new day? Noah, right? And the, and the dove comes to say the, the flood is over and there's a new promise that God has for people. And so this is a moment where now Jesus is not just the new Adam, he's the new Noah, getting it right in a different way. And so here we have him uh, stepping into this new era, and what you're going to hear us talk about a ton as we go through Matthew is the concept of the kingdom of God. So you, you heard John, Cousin John, say that the kingdom of heaven is near. And when you hear kingdom of heaven or kingdom of God, most scholars believe that's synonymous. In fact, Matthew might be intentionally, or John, might be intentionally saying heaven instead of God because there was a sense in that culture at that time to honor God's name by not speaking it aloud. And so here we have this kingdom of heaven. And, and it's just a, a really really deep theme in Matthew. So we're going to talk about it a lot. And my hope is that as we go throughout this spring, winter, and into the spring, that if we say, well, what's the deepest theme throughout Matthew? You'd say the kingdom of God, that Jesus is inaugurating the kingdom of God in a new way, that the kingdom of God is near. The kingdom of God breaking in. 
So as we think about this, this idea, the kingdom of God, last week I said this is about the reign of God, God's authority. When, when the God that we serve, this God of love and mercy and truth and justice and righteousness, when this God is in charge, what happens to reality? How does it change? And in this time, the kingdom of God isn't a time, specific time or a specific place, but any time or place where God breaks into that space and the humans recognize what God is doing and recognize that the reign of God is happening in this place. And so this moment when Jesus is being, uh, being given his identity in this moment is, is the kingdom of God descending in this place. And we know that there's a promise from God for a future where this whole universe will be healed and there will be no more death and dying and pain. But in the meantime, we get to experience the kingdom breaking into our everyday reality. I love how this scholar, uh, George Ladd, uses this phrase. I think it's really cool. The kingdom of God in our midst is the presence of the future. Like the presence of the future. It's reminding us of something in the future. A foretaste is sometimes another term used. The presence of the future is when God's kingdom breaks in. Okay, so Jesus' identity. Jesus is the son of God. Jesus exists in community. And finally, Jesus represents humanity. So we've been hitting on this, right? Jesus is representing humanity, is standing in for humanity. When the Father says, you are my son, and I am pleased with you, it's so critical for us to note that Matthew is making sure we see that that happened before Jesus had done any of the things, any of the miracles, right? Jesus had yet to do any miracles, had yet to do any healing. Jesus had not yet, you know, done a disappearing act when people were trying to stone him. Like, none of that has happened yet. He certainly has not walked on water. He hasn't gone to the cross and come back to life and conquer death. None of this has happened. Yet the Father says to the Son, you are my Son, and I am pleased with you. Not because of what Jesus has done, but because of who he is as his kid. His identity. The Father's love and pleasure is simply because Jesus is his Son. And this clarity of Jesus' core identity was going to be really important. It was going to be really important because you'll see next week, the very next verse, uh, very next chapter, Pastor Ashish is going to walk us through Jesus being led out even further into the wilderness to deal with the temptations from the enemy. And Jesus is going to go through suffering. And Jesus is going to go through betrayal. He's going to go through all of these things. And so that anchor and that sense of, of groundedness in his core identity as a loved son of God is going to be so key as he goes through all that he's going to go through in his human body. We see that, that Jesus is representing humanity, not just in that moment in his baptism, which is what we're seeing here, the new Adam, but also to the cross. He's, he's representing us. He's standing in for us and taking with him all of the sin and brokenness of our lives and the world and the pain and the suffering. He's taking it to this cross and, and taking down the barriers between us and God. These are just some of the things that are accomplished on the cross by Jesus. And, and he's representing us in all these spaces. Jesus is the new Adam standing in the place of humanity, standing in for a do-over. So here's where it gets really key. So that means that in this moment, when the Father speaks these words of identity to Jesus, who's standing in for us, these are words of identity that God is speaking into our lives as well. And you see this affirmed throughout the story, throughout Scripture. That God sees us and says, you are my kids, and I love you, and I'm pleased with you. Not because you're going to do any miracles, because you're not going to, but not because you did any miracles, not because of what you've achieved, but because I love you. 
This is your identity. I love you for being my kid. At our core identity, we find that we are loved, forgiven children of God. I want to do something here, and, and just, if you want to, if you feel comfortable, I want you to close your eyes and just want to imagine something, all right? If you feel comfortable, close your eyes. Just imagine this with me. You're standing or sitting in a, in a wilderness. Everything around you is stripped away. Perhaps when you picture a wilderness, you picture a forest or some woods. Maybe you picture a, a prairie or, or just some barren land. Maybe you picture a desert. You're in, in a wilderness, and there's nothing there to distract you. There's no phones, no notifications, no children, no teenagers, nothing. Nobody's bothering you. No one's bugging you. Nothing. Everything's stripped away. And you hear this voice, and, and something in you says this voice is divine. It's not, it's not me. It's not my imagination. And you hear this voice, and this voice says to you, you are my daughter. You are my son. And I love you. And I'm pleased with you. You are my, my son. You are my daughter. You are my child. You are in my family, and I love you for that. And I'm pleased with you because you are mine. You can keep your eyes closed if you want to or open them, but I just want to ask you a question. In that short moment, what comes up in you internally when you picture that, when you picture God speaking that identity into your life? I bet it's different for, for different people, but, but how does it make you feel? Is your initial reaction, yeah, that is who I am? Because it's who God says you are. Or is your reaction something different? Do things come up in your mind and heart about what you have or haven't done or what's been done to you and all the things that flood into our minds when we ask this question of who we are? Do you believe and receive that the God of the universe who created that wilderness you just imagined, who created you and everything beautiful and wonderful and good in this world, that that God loves you completely? Because that is our core identity. Jesus, as the new Adam, as the new human, stood in our place to help us see who we are and whose we are at the very core. This is my best, my best chance to put into words what I think our identity is, okay? I'll put it up here on the screen. This is our, my, my core definition of our identity. We'll put it up here for you. Our core identity is defined as loved, forgiven children in God's family. And not only are we in this family and belong in this family, but we have a purpose to join the inbreaking kingdom and reign of God. Our core identity is defined as loved, forgiven children in God's family with a purpose to join in the future <laughs> now, the inbreaking kingdom and the reign of God. The wilderness exposes that we can't merely be defined by what we've done, right? And here in the wilderness, you see Jesus' identity come to the surface. Let's see if we can put this on the screen. Like, these are the things about who Jesus is. So what does this say about us? Jesus is the son of God, and we are God's kids. Jesus exists in family and community. We exist for communion and family and community in God's family. Jesus represents humanity, which makes a way for us. Jesus standing in and representing humanity makes a way in the wilderness of life for us. We are loved by God and God is pleased with us. We see that in Jesus' baptism. We are forgiven and we are set free as Jesus stands in for us on the cross. We are people who have a purpose to join in what God is doing in the kingdom as Jesus leaves this earth and sends the Spirit and say, I will be with you always. Let's do this. 
this is our identity. And in the wilderness, we can, if we want to, we can discover who we truly are. Loved, forgiven children in God's family. But we have to recognize the wilderness does expose things, doesn't it? It exposes the ways we have defined ourselves by the roles that we have in life, your job that we found out how quickly those jobs can be gone tomorrow. And they're sometimes defining us more than anything else. Sometimes the different roles we have in life are defining us more than anything else, being a parent, being a friend. But it's so important that those things don't define us because we aren't great at that stuff. (laughs) We struggle, right? It can't be our definition. None of us do that perfectly. Whatever the wilderness exposes and brings to the surface, that's not your identity. But the wilderness is where you can say, okay, if this is what's coming up, let me dig deep and say, who am I actually? And who does God say that I am? Loved children of God. Think about this. In this year of 2022, you could have the biggest failure in your entire life and God would not love you any less. You could have the greatest success this year than you've ever had, whatever measure of success you have, and God will not love you anymore. God loves you because God loves you because God loves you because God loves you. You can't earn it. You can't lose it. This is God's identity for us if we want to turn, repent towards God and say, I want to be in this family. God's a perfect parent who loves perfectly. No, no earthly parents loved perfect, love perfectly. But God is a perfect parent, so God loves perfectly. And God invites us out of that love into a life of joining in what God is doing and the things that God cares about in our life. But we don't follow Jesus' words. He said, if you love me, you will, you will live out what I say. But we don't do that to earn God's love. We do it because of it, out of an overflow of it in our lives. It's because of God's love that we get to pursue that. We're never going to be done learning about ourselves. We are beautifully and sometimes frustratingly complex, are we not? You get your whole life to understand more of who you are and who God made you to be, and there's going to be some great processes of discovery. But in the midst of all of that, we've got to figure out, as we expand in our understanding of ourselves, how do we strengthen the core of our identity as, as God's kids who are loved just for being God's kids? God's pleased with us in that way. Because just like Jesus, we're going to go through temptations. We're going to go through suffering. We're going to go through betrayal. We're going to go through these things. That's why he came to say, I understand. But Jesus needed his core identity to be grounded and anchored before he stepped into that, just like we do, to have our identity core and anchored in our life. I'm going to invite the worship team to come up, and I'm just going to have two questions for you to just reflect on. We'll create a little bit of space with some music. These two questions, I think, are so critical when it comes to how we understand ourselves. First one is, What do you picture when you imagine God in this season? This is an important question for us because how we picture God is is really affects how we understand ourselves, right? If you picture God as a looming taskmaster just asking you to get things done, if you picture God as a cosmic vending machine that's there if you need something and then it doesn't work and you're just shaking it, if that's how you picture God, or maybe even in a deeper way, you, an experience you've had with a human or humans in this world that has been abusive or hurtful is affecting how you picture God. This question is critical. Jesus' identity is clear. And we have an opportunity to be honest about where we're at and how we picture who God is. And then the second question, what are your honest feelings about your identity in this season? If we can just be honest with God and say, hey, this is where I'm at. 
then we can start to move towards this core identity that God invites us into, to where we hope to be. Our core identity as defined as, defined as loved, forgiven children that belong in God's family with a purpose to join in the inbreaking kingdom and reign of God. So we'll put these questions on the screen. And I just want to give you a little bit of time to reflect on that before we continue in our time of worship.